You're listening to the All Truth is God's Truth program. In God's creation, all truth belongs to Him. Therefore, as Christians, we must connect all truth back to our triune God in light of His inerrant Word and His creating, sustaining, and redeeming work. I'm your host, Jared Moore. One of my favorite songs that Brother Kenny sings does an excellent job. All our hopes in Jesus. Uh, Church, we're continuing our study uh, dealing with matters of uh, conscience, understanding our consciences. And um, today we're in 1 Corinthians 8, and this is the next to final sermon. Next next Sunday will be the final sermon in this series uh, dealing with matters of conscience. But uh, matters of of conscience uh, concern those areas where uh, Scripture doesn't speak. So um, when you become a Christian... Uh, the Holy Spirit comes in, regenerates you, resurrects you, gives you a new spirit, frees your will from having to obey your flesh, which your flesh is anything in you that's contrary to God, and now you've got the Holy Spirit. And so there's this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And um, as you read the Word, the Holy Spirit takes that Word and applies it to your conscience. And so as you mature in your, your Christian faith, you become convicted for things that you're made aware of. And um, things that you weren't convicted of before, because your conscience is only as good as the information it has. And so we have a responsibility to accurately and biblically inform our consciences with the Word of God. And uh, the reason why that's important, the reason why um, we're, we're talking about this is because, one, I, I think the world is trying to desensitize our consciences. They continue to put untruths out there through basically every form of media. Um, You know, lies about gender, sexuality, the definition of marriage. Um, We could go on and on and on and on about the untruths that are being presented and bombarded through um, television, social media, music, just everywhere. But the ultimate purpose, and the reason why they're particularly targeting children with these uh, heinous immoralities and perversions, is for the purpose of desensitizing their consciences so that the children will not feel guilty whenever they encounter these perversions. So they're trying to transform their consciences through lies. And uh, we, we want, as Christians... You know, the goal of Christianity is to thank God's thoughts after Him. It is not for God to bow down to us or to submit to us. He tells us how to think and we agree with Him. That's essentially what Christianity is about. Your your job is to thank God's thoughts after Him. Well, what are God's thoughts? Well, we have a book. He's given us a book. And our job is to read it and to do what it says. uh, To seek to understand who God is and his purpose for creation, his purpose for mankind. You know, so you're not going to find these things out in the world. You're going to have to pick up the book and read. You may say, Brother Jared, I don't have time to read. If you've got time to, you know, if you're not working 20 hours a day, sleeping four, you've got time to read the Bible. The issue is you've got to make time to read the Bible. We've all got time to read the Bible. But you have to literally choose 
to set aside time to do it. But it's so essential to the Christian life. You know, we started a new year. It's very important that you pick up and read the Bible because you're, most of the truths that are in the Bible you're not going to find anywhere else. And uh, so that we will have consciences that are accurately in, informed by Scripture, it's important that we know what the Bible says about all these particular issues that are coming down the pike. And uh, there, there's going to be more and more immorality um, that comes past this. You know, the, the sexual revolution um, is not going to stop. It's going to continue pursuing depravity. And, and so in order to put the brakes on that, Christianity has to stand in the gap and say what the Bible says, and we need to love people. There are going to be a lot of hurting people, um, you know, and you're starting to see it now. People, there, there have been many people who've had these uh, tra transition surgeries who are now coming out and saying, why did my parents let me do this? Why did my teachers let me do this? Why did doctors do this to me? Um, because they were 14, 15, 16 years old when they made these life-altering decisions. And now they're, they're coming out and regretting it, and they've already mutilated their bodies. And they're, they're standing around saying, where were the adults? Where were the adults? And we need to say, we were there, we were telling you. We were fighting this stuff, doing our best to persuade you not to go down that route, because the world is not going to do it. The world is not going to do it. And so out of love for God and our neighbor, we need to know this book and encourage others to trust in Christ and to enjoy the beauty and goodness and truth that we enjoy. Now, 1 Corinthians 8, um, the church at Corinth, you know, the book of Corinthians, that, that city was a, was a wealthy city. It was located on Isthmus. And so there's a lot of, uh, you know, ships would come to it and they would cross over on land and go to the other side. So there was a lot of money, a lot of wealth. Um, there was a, a temple to uh, Aphrodite there, and uh, it was very dominant as far as pagan worship. And so if you wanted to worship, um, you would go to the temple and participate in sin um, involving a priest or a priestess uh, to worship in that religion. And part of it, they would also do sacrifices, animal sacrifices. And so the best meat that you can buy in Corinth, you get it from the pagan priests who are selling it. Uh, because they, you know, they would eat a portion of the meat, but they would sell the rest or they could survive. And um, Christians who were saved out of that were struggling with, well... If this meat's been offered to an idol, has it been corrupted? Is there something wrong with the meat? And they didn't want to get pulled back into pagan worship, or they didn't want to participate in pagan worship. So that, this was a, a battle in early Christianity. You know, what do we do? Their consciences were pricking them and saying, don't eat that meat offered to an idol. And there were other Christians who were saying, look, God owns the meat. <laughs> you know, the, idol doesn't, the idol doesn't do anything to the meat. It's just meat. You're freeing Christ to eat it. And so you've got this debate going on there in the church in Corinth. And so um, that's what we're looking at today, matters of conscience. And we need to focus on love and freedom. Love and freedom. In the first three verses here, it says, Concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So just in these first three verses, you see that love is essential. Love for God, love for your neighbor. And um, it's so important in matters of conscience. So where the Bible doesn't speak, like whether or not to eat meat that's offered to an idol, whether or not to, the Bible doesn't speak on that. And so you have to follow your conscience. So anything beyond Scripture, you, you are supposed to submit to your conscience, and you should never disobey your conscience. And I should never try to get you to disobey your conscience. And uh, what, what's fascinating about this, you know, I, I, I told you that I grew up in a church, my home church, there were some, um, some extra stipulations that was emphasized by some of the Christians there, and particularly our Sunday school teachers when I was in the youth and look, I, I love those people. They were just mistaken on some issues. You know, they taught me the gospel. I'm a Christian because, because of their efforts. Um, but just to, just to speak at some of these things, um, the Sunday school teacher, when I was a young teenager, asked us to bring in our music that we listened to, our CDs, and she was going to examine them and talk about it in Sunday school. So I brought in Alice in Chains. Do y'all know Alice in Chains? It's not a girl band. Um, kind of an angry rock, I guess you could say. Super talented guys. Um, but she went and read everything about them. And then the next week, <laughs> in Sunday school, when I came in, you know, everybody brought CDs in. But she chose mine. And she... Just let me have it. <laughs> there in front of everybody about this evil devil band. She named off all this stuff about the bands, about the band, and, um, and tried to say that you shouldn't listen to this music because of the lifestyle of the band. And um, the reason why I say that's an extra stipulation um, beyond the Bible is because how many of y'all ever call a plumber and say, are you a Christian? If you're not a Christian, I do not want you to come fix my toilet. You got to find out if they're a Christian before they come over and fix something. When you go and buy gas from the gas station, do you walk in before you buy it and say, are you a Christian? I'm only going to buy this gas if you're a Christian. And so there's a, there's a big inconsistency. You know, I was a young teenager. I, I listened and, you know, did my best. But I knew that there was something off about these standards because I didn't know any of these things that she told me about the band because I was listening to the songs. Did y'all know that Oh Holy Night was, was written by a heretic? Did you know that It Is Well With My Soul was written by a guy who joined a cult? He wasn't in a cult when he wrote it. But later on, he started a cult. Does that change the truth that is in It Is Well With My Soul? Is it a sin to sing it? Absolutely not. Is it wrong to sing Oh Holy Night? No, it is still true. 
I don't go find out. Think about all the songs we sing. Do you even know who wrote 95% of the songs we sing? I mean, you may read it at the bottom of the hymnal, but do you even know? I mean, it's some weird name from 200 years ago, you know? And I mean, so you don't know. Most of the songs that we sing, we don't know how faithful these people were. We sing the song because it's true. Now, I'm not saying go listen to Alice in Chains, but I'm just saying that, you know, based on the song that you listen to, it does not matter necessarily what the person who wrote it. You don't go find out how holy they are before you listen to a song. Or if you watch a movie, a director. Did y'all know that the, the Chosen movie is... Um, a Mormon company is the one who's putting out the chosen. Did you know that? Does that somehow butcher that movie? Now the question is, is it according to the Bible? That's the question. And that's what we need to be asking. Instead of adding these extra stipulations, they're really unlivable when you apply them in every area of your life. You are unable, we are unable to only purchase things from devout Christians. We are, we are unable in all areas of life to only buy things from Christians or to only participate with Christians. It's really impossible when you live in a sinful world. Not only that, but you're not, it's going to be really difficult to reach people. And oftentimes you can have gospel conversations with people, I, I think on social media, y'all saw the other day, I shared a song by um, an artist that my kids introduced me to called Olivia Rodrigo. I don't know if she's a Christian, but her song, Jealousy, Jealousy, is something all you teenage girls need to listen to. All of you. And children, parents, have your, have your girls especially, and probably any of you ladies that are on social media need to listen to the song Jealousy, Jealousy by Olivia Rodrigo. Now, she has other songs where she says inappropriate things, uses bad language. But that song, there's a lot of truth in that song. I think she's raised in a Christian home. I don't know that for sure. She's Filipino. I was trying to figure out, you know, this, because this doesn't just, the so, that song, there's so much truth in there. It does not come from the world. So where'd she get this from is what I was thinking in my head. Because she's like, she's like 18 years old. So, but I say all that to say that extra stipulations are harder to live by and literally impossible. God has given us a book to inform our consciences. And if we feel convicted for listening to certain things, like if you, if you for real, if you only want to listen to bands that are devout Christians and you've checked out their lives and you know they're devout Christians, you're free in Christ to do that. You're free in Christ to go investigate everybody. But when you start saying to everybody else, you must follow my conscience, then you sin. And if I try to get you to disobey your conscience, then I sin. So our conscience is not the Bible. The Bible's the Bible. And so looking here, we need to make sure that we are following Scripture. And in areas of conscience, we need to emphasize love and freedom. Love and freedom. But where the Scriptures speak, God speaks. Remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? 
All scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So all scripture is breathed out by God. This is not just any book. It's breathed out by God. He carried along men to write inerrant, without error, infallible. So it does not err, infallible. It cannot err. Or it cannot err is infallible. Inerrant is it does not err. That is the word of God. But areas where scripture is silent, we have to submit to our consciences as informed with scripture by the Holy Spirit. And it must be due to love for God and our neighbors. Another example, something interesting, and what I'm saying about how it's impossible to live in this world without, you know, touching or interacting with someone who's involved in, in something that is wicked. Um, did y'all know that the months of the year are named after, most of them are named after pagan false gods? Uh, January is named after uh, Janus or Janus, Janus. Uh, the Roman god of gates and endings, beginnings. Uh, February is Februs, uh, it's named after the god of death. Um, Mars is the, is the Roman god of war. That's when my wife was born, March. Just coincidence, coincidence. Um, May is the Roman goddess of springtime, warmth and increase. Juno is the Roman goddess, wife of Jupiter. Uh, July is named after Julius Caesar, who claimed to be God on earth. Augustus is August, first Roman emperor. Um, you know, just these different things. So, if we're Christians, should we rename all the ones that are, that are pagans? Should we say a different name? Just rename the months? No. Because false gods don't exist. Just because someone said a god existed doesn't mean that he or she did. Paul's going to say that here in a moment. So let's look at verses 4 through 13. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled." Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. 
So in matters of conscience, love and freedom are essential because first, in verses 4 through 5, you see that idols are nothing. There is only one God. There is only one God. You know, that's one of the early catechism questions here. Are there more gods than one? No. There is one God. Cain and Abel were little, we'd make them hold up their finger. There's one God. And because even a little one can say that, you know, two, three years old can say that. There is one God. And, you know, if you teach your children that, that will, just monotheism, that will protect them on a lot of issues. You think of how many cults are out there. Very few of them are are monotheistic. And uh, just that belief will help them, inoculate them from an early age against the false religions that are out there. Now, there may be many who claim to worship gods, idols, objects, but there is only one true God. These people are not worshiping real gods who worship gods other than Yahweh. And this should serve a a warning to us that regardless what mankind says, it only matters what God has said. It does not matter that over a billion people on earth worship Allah. Their beliefs do not make Him real. Might does not make right, and God's existence is not based on a vote. It's not based on a popularity contest. Truth is not determined by majority. Truth is determined by God alone. You know, if the majority of the people in the world believe it's okay to sacrifice your children to Molech, it still doesn't make it right. And so we need to agree with God. If God has said something that it's evil, and every human being on earth says that it's good, God is still right and humanity is wrong. So I want to encourage you young people, pick up the book and read. Do not get your morality from a popularity contest or a poll or your peers. Get it from the Bible. Because God will guide you and direct you. And He is always good and faithful. Always kind, always gracious. He is... Well, I mean, this book contains the words of life. And uh, God has never done me any wrong. Even taking my loved ones sooner than I wanted Him to take them. He has never harmed me. He has never done me any wrong. He's actually never done anyone any wrong ever. Ever. And we can only love our neighbor rightly when we love God more than our neighbor. As the first command is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the first thing you see is that idols are nothing. There's only one God. Now, the second thing is that there is one Father, one Lord Jesus Christ, who are the source of all things. So all things come from God and Christ. Now, when you look in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. So if you read that passage, though, the, the Spirit is hovering over the waters... And you realize that the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are present there at creation. Because when you get to John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, referring to Jesus Christ. And so, the Father speaks, the Son is the speech, and the Spirit applies what the Son, or what, what the Father has said through the Son. Another way would be from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. That's how we receive all things. And that's why worship is by the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. 
when Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, start with our Father who art in heaven. We pray to the Father. But it emphasizes the triune God, the Trinity. What's fascinating about 1 Corinthians 8, 6 is that the Apostle Paul has taken Deuteronomy 6, 4 and he's rearranged it. Deuteronomy 6, 4, I believe this was, the kids were memorizing this um, in the middle of last year. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now the Apostle Paul has actually taken that and put Jesus in to that verse, to where Jesus... So Paul is not adding Jesus to Yahweh. So it's not diatheism. He's not saying there are two gods. No, no, he's saying that back in Deuteronomy, Jesus is present in Deuteronomy. He is Yahweh the Son. Right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he is including Jesus in the identity of Yahweh. And you can see it there in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So he has reworded that to include Jesus in the identity of Yahweh. When I'm talking with Jehovah's Witnesses, that's one of the verses that I point out. It's because he's saying Jesus is Jehovah. And they reject that. They believe Jesus had a beginning. That he was not, he is not God the Son incarnate. That's not what they believe. They also don't believe the Holy Spirit is a person. They reject the Trinity entirely. And so 1 Corinthians 8, 6 serves to show that Jesus indeed is Yahweh the Son. Yahweh the Son. And so the reason why this is important is that our consciences need to be held captive to Jesus, to Christ, not to idols. Paul tells us we are free from the commandments of men, that we must love God and our neighbor, the commandments of God. And so freedom and love are essential in matters of conscience because we love God and we're commanded to love our neighbor. So in matters of conscience, not only do we have these two points, we also have a third, that food does not make us better or worse toward God. You see this in verse Seven verses 7 and 8. You know, there are some Christians in Corinth who didn't realize how much freedom they had in Christ, that Christ had freed them from the commandments of men, from believing that meat belongs to idols, not to God. And Paul says that food does not make us holier to God. We are no worse if we do not eat or better if we do. You know, there are some folks who want to hold on to the... Um, the Old Testament um, dietary system. And some want to hold on to the clothes that they wore. They try to hold on to the Old Testament law, the things that are fulfilled in Jesus. And so let's look at that just briefly. This is what I mentioned last Sunday uh, when I preached. But let's actually go look at the passage that I referenced. It's in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. This is the Apostle Peter and... He, you know, God is wanting him to go and reach the Gentiles with the gospel. This is before Paul, right? Before Paul's ministry officially starts. It's actually right after Paul gets saved. 
But this is the first Gentile salvation in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts. And you'll notice what God says here. All right, so let's look beginning in verse 9, Acts chapter 10. It says, The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And saw the heavens opened and something like it, like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice from him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came again. A second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. All right, so you can imagine that, right? So at this time, Peter was still practicing the Jewish dietary system in Acts chapter 10. He was still practicing it, but he gets this vision from the Lord that you no longer have to practice this dietary system. In the Old Testament, remember that Israel was set apart not only in their worship of Yahweh and their sacrificial system, but also in the clothes that they could wear, and not only the clothes that they could wear, but what they ate. Like they, they were to be set apart in how they looked. And what they ate, their diet, uh, continue to go by the dietary laws that are in the Old Testament. They are free in Christ to do that so long as they realize that this is fulfilled in Christ. And they also realize that Peter did not eat this way. Paul did not eat this way. This is not how the New Testament church ate once they, under, once they understood that this was fulfilled in Christ. And now they are distinguished by their morality, Jesus' ethic, not what they eat. And so in matters of conscience, love and freedom are essential because food does not make us better or worse toward God. The fourth thing is that our freedom should not be a stumbling block to others. You see this in verse 9, that we are free from the commandments of men, but that does not mean that it gives me a right to demand that you follow my conscience. So, for example, if you believe it's a sin to go to the movie theater, and I know that, and I'm your brother or sister, well, I'm not your sister, but I'm your brother in Christ, I would not try to get you to go to a movie with me. Now, I might try to inform you and say, well, why do you believe it's a sin? You know, what does... Where do you get that from Scripture? Where does the Bible say that? Um, things like that. You can ask questions like that, but you should not try to tempt people to violate their consciences, to go against their consciences. Another thing would be face cards. It's funny, at my, at my last church, there was one of the elderly ladies, and she was talking about when she was growing up how evil the face cards were. And, uh, you know, her, her mom, and, and, you know, it was just an evil thing to be around face cards and, and playing with them. And um, she said that eventually, she got older, she just realized that it was a game. If you played any game, it's okay to play a game, right? I mean, you give kids two sticks and they'll play a game, right? They'll make a game out of it. Um, play is, is a good thing. It's part of what we're, I mean, good grief, it's a trillion dollar industry in America, 
People will, will play football games and basketball games. Most of you all attend these things. Not to mention, probably over Christmas you played some games. We played Canasta. It has face cards. But Amber made me. I wasn't going to. I was trying not to. I'm just kidding. Actually, I begged her to. It's like a three-hour game if you ever play Canasta. It lasts forever. Um, but our freedom should not be a stumbling block to others, so we don't need to try to tempt others to go along with us, but we can encourage them to inform their consciences. The fifth thing is that if we know the consciences of other Christians will be offended, we sin if we encourage them to violate their consciences and follow us. You know, he brings up eating in an idol's temple. Remember, the best meat in Corinth is in the idol's temple. So imagine going, you know, hey, we're going out to eat after Sunday worship. You know, after the Lord's Day worship, we're going to go eat. And you go to the idol's temple because that's where the best meat is in town. Now imagine if a Christian whose conscience is weak and you know it's weak and you invite them to go with you, then you're harming their conscience because younger Christians or people who are younger in the faith may look up to you and instead of following their conscience, they may follow yours. That is the weaker brother. The weaker brother or sister is the one who will ignore his or her own conscience and conviction and follow yours instead. And those who are mature and realize their freedom in Christ, we need to not use that to try to tempt our brothers and sisters in Christ to disobey their consciences. And you see this in verses 10 through 12. And finally, in verse 13, you see that we should limit our freedom if we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice what Paul says. This is a very bold statement. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And so that's the mentality that we have. We need to have such a mentality that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ so much that we're willing to limit our freedom around them so we do not encourage them to violate their consciences. See, God has given you a conscience for the purpose that through the Holy Spirit you will be guided and directed, protected and guarded by it. And if you disobey it, if you tell it to be quiet, even if your conscience is wrong, if you tell it to be quiet, it's going to be quiet on the things that are also true. It's not like you can compartmentalize your conscience. If you sear it, it'll be quiet. You wonder how people can do crazy things and not feel bad for it? They've told their conscience to be quiet, and it finally is. That's how. That's how. And so it's a very scary thing if you've ever been around someone whose conscience has been seared. They'll commit heinous sin, evil, and not feel a thing. And so instead of that, we do need to inform our consciences with Scripture in such a way that it accurately guides and directs us. And so if you are a mature Christian, just as a soldier lays down his freedoms to protect the freedoms of his or her American citizens. You and I must be willing to lay down our freedoms in Christ for the sake of the well-being of Christ's church. And if you've ever been in the military, you know that you're laying some freedom down when you go in there. You can't just come and go as you please, can you? you got someone telling you orders, and you got to go do it, don't you? You don't have a choice in the matter. You, laid, you have laid down some of your freedom. 
Well, that is what Paul is telling us to do if we are mature in Christ. When we're around our weaker brothers and sisters in Christ, let us not tempt them to violate their consciences, to sin against God. Let us lay down our freedoms around them. So if, if, for example, as I said, if you believe it's a sin to eat steak, I'm not going to invite you to go eat steak. I'm not going to try to get you to go. And I'm not going to eat steak around you. But also, I'm still going to enjoy my freedom in Christ. So when I'm by myself, what am I, I going to do? I'm going to eat steak. I don't eat enough steak. We need to eat more steak. It's so expensive, amen? Um, so in conclusion, I hope that this encourages you rather than discouraging you. We cannot do things perfectly but praise be to God that we have a Savior who has done this perfectly. Jesus was not only perfect in obedience to God based on the commands, He was also perfect beyond the Scripture, beyond the commands. He, he exercised these commitments, and did, he, he literally did not try to tempt anybody to go against their consciences ever. I mean, it's amazing. When we talk about Jesus being sinless, that's a miracle in and of itself. And to use the language second Adam to describe Jesus, and when you look at the first Adam, it appears that he wasn't very long on this earth whenever he sinned. It didn't take long for the fall to happen, it seems. I mean, when you read the text. But Jesus has lived 33 and a half years, now 2,000 and something years, and has still never sinned, never had an evil desire. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing. And so our salvation is not based on how well we do this or how well we do anything. The whole point of Christianity and Christ's coming is that we cannot be good enough. There's not a person in this room who's good enough. None of us are. We have a Savior, though, and that is who we trust in. It is His righteousness that saves us, not our own. And so when we fail in these areas, let us repent and let us enjoy the fact that we have a Savior who intercedes for us, who is perfect, and out of His perfection, let us seek to be like Him. Let us seek to live in such a way that honors Him, that loves Him, that glorifies Him. But let us not trust in our good works. Let us trust in His for us. As Brother Kenny comes, let's all stand and respond how God may be leading. I want to invite you to sing with us. I want to invite you to pray. But I hope, most of all, that as you leave here, you'll ask the question, how must my life change as a result of the truth that I... Persuaded, see that it, I see the Savior, I see His grace is amazing, I persevered to the end.